Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's it's been it's been a couple of weeks. We haven't done one of these in a little bit of time now, and that's okay. It's the off season. Things are slowing down, mm-hmm. but there's still plenty to talk about. There's still yeah. plenty to talk about. Much Definitely. to discuss. We have much to discuss. Yes, and I mean, let's just say it. Happy seventeenth uh, anniversary of the Ducks winning Stanley Cup. Oh wait, no, sorry, fourteenth, fourteenth anniversary. <laughs> Did you not see this on, on Twitter today? No, I didn't. The, the did Ducks accidentally tweeted out that it was the 17th anniversary of the Ducks winning the cup when it's actually the 14th anniversary. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Interesting. So, is that, is that like a cell phone? I, I, I think it was just someone didn't do the math right. I don't know. Very odd. Very odd. But regardless, 14 years ago today, the Ducks won the Stanley Cup. And I wow. can actually, I remember them winning that. Very So, very good day. June 6th, 6th is a day that Ducks fans should all remember. June 6th, 2007. Where were you when the Ducks won the Stanley Cup? I was a sophomore in high school and was watching at my parents' house with my dad. And I can remember... For whatever reason, I don't. I think it was a weekend, so the game was a little bit earlier. It wasn't like a 7 p.m. start local time, so it was at home. And so I think it was like a 3 or 4 p.m. start, maybe even earlier. Um, and, yeah, so I can remember the being at my parents' house, watching it, and just kind of enjoying all of it. It was it was a very, very cool day. Nice. I, I have never experienced my team winning a Stanley Cup, so I, I envy that. I envy that experience. But, you know, Jake, it is the playoffs. The National Hockey League playoffs are going on, and, and tensions are running high. Tensions are running high. I, being a Canadians fan, have had to deal yeah, with a lot of... how do you feel? How do you feel? I've had to deal with a lot of hate from people like you, you know, and that's okay. Because Me? They're, they're still winning games. Me? Yeah. You know, having to deal with the skeptics, you know, saying that the Canadians are only winning because of injuries. It's it's frustrating. I mean, they did only win the first round because of Tavares getting hurt. No, that's just that's a bad take. It's okay. Bad They're, faith argument. They, here's the thing. The Canadians are a good team. I have never said otherwise. I have been someone who's actually championed them for you, especially <laughs> last year. And they are the much they should sweep the Jets. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you and I texted before the series started saying, Well, the Habs sweep the Jets, and you were not bullish on that. And I was like, I think they will. But well, you, were, I, you backed off. Well, I thought that the Jets would have a little more in them. And then it just, after game one, and especially with Shifley getting suspended, it was like, well. <laughs> and then if, after game two, that ended 1-0, and the Jets did almost nothing offensively. It was like, well, this might not last very long. So yeah. there's your there's your Habs talk. I'm sure everybody was was dying for that. But yeah. it's, been, it's been a fun postseason. We did a watch-along yesterday for our patrons. Yes. Uh, we did Carolina-Tampa Bay. Got heated. You know, Jake is the resident Hurricanes fan here, and I do oh, yeah. enjoy watching the Tampa Bay Lightning. Let, it was let, a, let's just very, say that... Very entertaining second period. Let's just say that Felix started using nicknames for players on the Tampa Bay Lightning. No, that's not true. That that's not true. Chris, just call him out, please. Call, fi- <laughs> clip it, clip it. Find the clip. <laughs> no, um, no, but no. There's actually been a decent amount of things in Ducksland over the last two weeks because we didn't do a show last weekend, and so this week was the draft lottery, the big day for the Ducks, where they came in with the second best odds in the draft lottery to essentially win either the first or second round, first or second uh, overall pick. Uh, they had the second best odds to do that. And do you want to just jump in and, and let the folks know what happened? Well, first off, I just want to point out, was mm-hmm. you bringing up the uh, anniversary of the Ducks Stanley Cup win a way to steal my bit? 
was, no, was, it, that, it, was, it was, was that stealing my thunder? It was not, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stealing your sunshine. It's okay. It's okay. I'll let you, I'll let you have this, this moment. Um, yes. Draft lottery though. So once again, the ducks drop back, except this time they only drop back one spot. So the yep. ducks had the second best odds in the draft lottery. And instead of picking second, they will be picking third. Now, yeah. Jake, you and I have had a lot of discussions about this draft, and it's only going to heat up as the draft approaches. There was a lot of reaction on Twitter when this went down, and even among like media of, here we go again, the Ducks. It's a disappointment. This is a disappointment. This is a problem. And I'm of the opinion that I think with this draft, sliding just a little bit is not the end of the world for the Ducks because of how wide open it well, is. Well, it's not necessarily even... So that's one aspect of it. Yes, you're you're correct. I think just no matter what, the the benefit of finishing second last was at worst you're going to fall to fourth, and you're still going to get a good player at fourth no matter what. And so falling only to third is also a good thing because you're still getting the third overall pick. And the fact that there's no clear cut first overall, there's no clear cut even second overall. Yeah, there's a whole <laughs> lot of things that can end up happening. And the other thing that I just kind of want to bring up here is that. Um, with all that talk of disappointment and all this different type of stuff, and it's, uh, people are saying, of course, the Ducks are the only team that got got jumped. And some people saying, of course, the mm. NHL is screwing the Ducks. Of course, the NHL wants Seattle. The Ducks are the only team to, to fall a spot in this, entire, conspiracy. in this entire draft. This is how percentages in a lottery work. I mean, here's the, here's the percentage chance of the Ducks finishing in different spots. First overall was 12%. Second overall, 11.7%. Third overall, 26.9%. Fourth overall, 49.3%. So the Ducks actually had the highest percentage chance of following falling two spots to fourth overall at 49.3. So this was wasn't even the most likely thing to occur. And so the fact that they only fell to third, I view that as a very good thing because it's a like it's better than falling to fourth. Like I, I mm-hmm. think it's just understanding the percentages, understanding what's gonna happen, understanding how the lottery works. Um I mean, my personal opinion is get rid of the lottery. Just let the worst team have the first overall pick, second worst team, second overall yeah. pick. Like at the end of the day, what you're trying to do here with the draft system is redistribute talent. So just do it that way. But if you're going to have a lottery, at least understand what it's doing. So kind of having said that, falling to third, if you look at a lot of mock drafts, a lot of mock drafts have Owen Power going first overall, Matt Ebeneers going second overall. And then third overall, it kind of is fair game, open game, depending on where you look. A lot of people are picking Dylan Gunther to the Ducks, who... A lot Although, of people? Who's a lot of people? Uh, Eric Stevens had him going to them. Uh, I believe it was Craig, I think TSN, I think it was Craig Button, had Dylan Gunther going to to the Ducks. Uh, Sam Constantino, on the other hand, along with Cam Robinson. Uh, Constantino at Sportsnet, Cam Robinson at EP Brinkside had the Ducks taking Simone Edmondson. Um, and, yeah, so, and, so let's, let's, do, let's discuss this a little. Let's slow this down a little bit. So yep. Ducks are picking third. Yep. Before we go into all the different variables. Let's just kind of work our way down and get yep. to third and can kind of show why this is because, you know, immediately once the pick was announced, I think a lot of people immediately were saying, well, who are they going to take? Who, who should they take? Who's going to be available? And the thing with this draft is, are, do we even know that Owen Power will go number one? Is, is that even set in stone? Um, No, we don't, actually. It, it, I, I think it, it's it, pretty likely, but it's mm-hmm. not set in stone. No, not at all. And that's why with this draft, it's not it's not like a year, like even last year, let's say, we're dropping back or two years ago or whenever dropping back is this is this big negative. And so I think that looking at it, though, 
if we want to just work our way down at first overall, let's just say the consensus pick is Owen Power and he does indeed end up going to uh, Buffalo. Is there any other name that you could see? I know Cam Robinson at Elite Prospects had Maddie Beniers going there. You know, do you see any other possibilities or do you think it's Power? I, I'm pretty confident that it would probably be Owen Power. I'm trying to right now look up the, the Buffalo Sabres uh, def, depth chart just to see who they have on the left side of defense. And uh, this is going to be a weird draft where because there's no consensus, I think, well, yes, you should never draft for need necessarily. And I think Bob Murray, when we eventually get to his quotes, kind of agrees with that thought process. Um this is a draft when you have a lot of guys in a similar range with the similar kind of projection. If you, if you were to give them a projection grade, you probably would end up favoring the player that fits your need more so than the player that doesn't. And so Rasmus Stalin is a left-handed shot defenseman. And so maybe they, they look at Owen power and say, we don't actually need the left-handed shot D man. And maybe they, they view it as, Oh crap. We need to actually more so a center to to come in, we we have Dylan Cousins, well, but we want well, someone especially to, especially if you know they move Jack, Jack Eichel. Eichel, yeah, yeah, and great. and so this gives them, and so I think that there's a real chance that they go Maddie Beniers uh, at first overall with the fact of uh, them having Dylan Cousins there. That gives you Maddie Beniers and Dylan Cousins as a one-two punch if you move Jack Eichel for whatever you get back. Um, do you, think it, do you think it's so clear-cut that Beniers is the best forward in this draft? No, I don't. And, and that's the other thing. I mean, there's potential that they go Eklund. The one thing that I think on Buffalo... I don't I don't think Eklund goes first, but I, I'm, I'm maybe just curious. Edvin, maybe they go Edvinson? Yeah. I I think for the purposes of this conversation, maybe just let's just call it power. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident it's power, even though mm-hmm. they do have Darlene there already. I think that you can have a one-two punch. You can have guys on the first pair and guy on the second mm-hmm. pair. For for a long time to come, and maybe you end up playing one and given, on the, their offside. Given how, much of a, given how much of a tire fire they were this year, maybe bringing in another defenseman to kind of stabilize well, things. And I I also think that the Buffalo Sabers. I think it's pretty well known at this point in time that their scouting staff is very very small. That that's something that's been well publicized yeah. at this point in time. And so with kind of that being said, I would highly doubt that they would be the team to buck the trend and, and go against kind of where central scouting is well, and, and where remember, a, remember their first round pick last year. Uh, yeah. Jack Quinn. Jack Quinn. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Looking at, looking at points solely. And so looking at the guys mm-hmm. that, so, I mean, maybe they end up looking at Kent Johnson in that same aspect. Cause that would be the <laughs> Kent Johnson, I think is the best comparison to, to Jack yes. Quinn, the, to, and Marco Rossi and Maddie Veneers. And so, um, I, I think for this argument, and I think that it's a pretty safe assumption that they go with, uh, Owen power though. Let's call it Owen power. Yes. Now, like we, like you were just saying after the first overall pick, I think it's, it's completely wide open. Yeah. I, the, th- the thing is that the team that has the second overall pick, which, you know, a lot of people will say should have been the Ducks pick. A lot of Ducks fans will say that um, is the Seattle Kraken, who are a brand new team. So you it's much harder to speculate or mm-hmm. try to guess who their pick will be because there there are no needs to be met. There are no we haven't seen previous drafts to understand exactly, what they favor. The, exactly. There's no track record. So knowing all of that. Knowing what the, what little we know about the organization, what are some yeah. of your, I guess, uh, 
what are your best projections of what well, they could do? So I was listening to Chris Peters' podcast. I think it was like Hockey Sense or something along those lines. And he got into a lot of good questions. I haven't, I haven't actually finished the podcast Including yet. one uh, of yours. Is, is including one a... of mine. Uh, <laughs> I asked the question partially Jake, with an Jake does I, his homework, folks. Partially with an eye towards uh, the Ducks pick. But um, wa- wondering if Seattle would look at taking Wallstead. Because for those that don't know, Jesper Wallstead is the highest projected goalie. He's up there with like uh, last year's Yaroslav Askarov, uh, potentially even better than that. A lot of people are very, very high on him. And so he basically, Chris Peters, who for those that don't know, used to work at ESPN, really well-known dra- uh, prospect guy. Um, basically, it said that um, I, Ron Francis had, had mentioned with Seattle that he views his team as needing to build down the middle of the ice. So goaltender, defense, center. And so that's how he wants his team to be built. So with that being said, there is the potential for Wallstep, but he Chris even mentioned this, that it's very unlikely for them to go with a goalie at that high. And I think that that's the right call. I think there's a slight possibility, if they're that high on him, that you take him and view him as the goaltender of the future. But I highly doubt that that's the route that they take when you can especially get a goalie later that could potentially become that. So having said that, they will probably look at a defense or a center. So with that being said, there's a bunch of defense, and there's a there is one good center in this draft. And so I think if Owen power is gone, I think it's going to come down to what do they view as a more important type of player? Do they want map Do they want uh Brent Clark, who I know you and I probably have the top four of a similar ilk of being Clark Beneers, uh, and, uh, Eklund. Um, or do they want an Edmondson? Do they look at Luke Hughes and say, due to his draft age, um, he may be a higher type of talent. So I think most likely, they do go for a Maddie Beneers. I think that that seems like the most likely scenario. It's safe pick. It's the safe pick. It's one that I think Ron Francis, who Ron Francis was a center in the league, he may view that as a necessity. Well, for Also look at how the Hurricanes were built. Yes. I think that there is a little bit of a, maybe that's what you're looking to to figure out Correct. how Seattle will go. Correct. But I don't, I think Maddie Beneers is the most likely option there. Having said that, I don't think it's significantly so. I think that it's maybe 60%, 55% chance they go Beneers. I think there is a really high likelihood of them kind of going a little bit off the board just because we don't know. We don't know what their right. scouting staff is. Maybe they view Simone Edvinson as being this guy that is this raw, untapped talent. And out of all franchises in this draft, at the high end of it, they're the ones that have the most leeway with their fan base. They have the time to be able to really go take their time with the more so of a, um, a pro or not a prospect, a um, project, a project, a project type player. There we go. Um, a project type player and take their time with him and develop him into this kind of monster type player that some people think Edvinson could become if given the time and proper development. And so maybe they look at that. Maybe like, like I said, Luke Hughes. And so I, I think that, I'd say it's most likely over 50% chance they go with Beneers with the other kind of percentage left being one of those kind of three defensemen of Clark, Edvinson, or Hughes. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've noticed is there is some criticism of Beneers, mainly from just like the same person in our mentions over and over. (laughs) So one person. Again on Twitter. But I think it is fair to ask if he, you know, I think he's a very good forward prospect, but might not have the high-end ceiling that you would love to have at that slot. Yes and no. I mean, I I think that that narrative kind of, well, yes, there is something there. He still put up points, and he's like, a, he's and he's a and if you watch him play, he's a fantastic skater. Like I, I think what that's that says is that misses that 
he really put up points in in you in NCAA hockey this year. Which, first off, it's not normal for a draft eligible player to be playing in the NCAA. Granted, part of that is due to Mappineers being a bit older, and so that's one part of it that is not necessarily normal for for these types of guys. And I'm trying to pull up actually his stats. And for whatever reason, uh, elite prospects didn't want to work for me right now. Um, but uh, I believe he was just under a point per game this past year. Yes, 24 or no, he was exactly at a point per game, 24 points in 24 games at the University of Michigan. And so that is very, very good for a draft eligible player just as a I think it's important to just have some comparables, I think. And so when you look at, for instance, Trevor Zegras when he was uh, in the NCAA, Trevor Zegras in his uh, freshman year, which he would have been just slightly older, he would have been, so Zegras is a March birthday, and I believe Beneers is an October birthday, but uh, uh, let me get back to that. Trevor Zegras, I believe, was just under, and here we go, Trevor Zegras had 36 points in 33 games. So Beneers was at 24 and 24, Zegras at 36 and 33. And Beneers was younger than Zegras was when he put up those points. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that kind of when you, you look at it in that perspective, I think that kind of knocks off the idea of him not having this offensive ceiling when he's putting up those points. Maybe he doesn't have the necessarily the, the high skill ceiling where visually he creates these uh, high-risk plays like we see with the Trevor Zegras that are very fun to watch and do create goals, but he's damn effective in his transition game, and those transition plays lead to goals and assists. Right. No, I agree with that. I just wanted to hear your take on that. Yeah. I'm sure and by the way, Kent, Kent Johnson, 27 and 26 games. The I do have some slight concerns there, though, mainly because of being online with Beneers and some people have had concerns. I still think Kent Johnson, though, is a clear top 10 overall pick or top right. 10 pick in this draft. So, OK, so we were going with power and Beneers as the one, two. Yes, maybe, I, maybe you, you could even flip that and say maybe Beniers goes one. Yeah, power. I goes think two. there there is a chance. Maybe it's like a ten to twenty percent chance, uh, over based upon if Beniers goes first or second. But I think there's a ten to twenty percent chance that Beniers falls to third. Because okay. having said that, having said all this, and, and really talk glowingly about Matty Beniers, for whatever reason, NHL Central Scouting has him as the sixth best North American skater. Yeah, and that leaves a lot of wiggle room here because that's considering all the European guys as well when well, teams are looking at these boards. Exactly, and the thing is, central scouting, there are some issues with it, but that probably is similar to some team scouts. So maybe Buffalo well, for, doesn't Maybe Buffalo doesn't view Beneers as that high. Maybe same thing with Seattle. Well, for the purposes of the Ducks, all that matters is the two, the, the two teams' boards ahead of them. Yes, and, exactly. And it, and it will be interesting. I would be willing to bet that Power will go first because of what you explained with, with Buffalo scouting staff. Maybe I'll be dead wrong about that. And that's the fun of this is, is kind of guessing. That's kind of what's fun about this year's draft is it feels like a, a mystery that we're trying to unravel yes. and uncover. So that that leads us to third. So assuming, again, this is all assuming this is completely a mock draft that Power and Beneers are off uh, the board. FYI, Sam Constantino, um, who I have some issues with, but he's done a good job with, with having inside sources. Jake just, Jake just starting beefs with media yeah, members definitely. on our pod here. No, but he, he has good good sources. I, I just wish there was more information in his mock draft on players. Um, but he has good information within organizations. He has Brant Clark going to Seattle at two. So that okay. like like that is something that's there. And, mm-hmm. and same, and so it's not this locked in thing with Beneers going too. But I think for 
our sake right now, I think if you and I would both agree, just kind of take this off the board. If Beneers is available at three, that's who the Ducks should take. Full stop. Well, okay, but let's let's make this a little harder. Let's just say Power and Beneers are off the board. I know. I'm just saying that if Beneers oh, yeah. is that if Beneers is there, you and I both agree, just in case that does happen. You and I agree that's who they should take. Yeah, so I think that's important to talk about. So if Beneers is available, the reason why I would favor the Ducks taking him is for everything you just said about him, is that he is the kind of player that I think that their roster could really use. And especially when you consider that you could have a one-two punch of Zegris and Beneers, two guys who lit up college hockey, two guys with similar skill sets in the sense that they can push play forward, that they can create for their line mates, that they could drive a line on their own. That could be really potent for a few years to come. And so yeah. I that that's why I would favor that pick because well, I don't I don't know if there's another forward like Beneers who has that ability. And, I mean, and ben, that's what will be interesting. But it's funny just to give a brief comparison. I think Beneers is what everyone thinks Lundestrom is. <laughs> right? No, what? hear me out where, here. Where are you getting this? At, no, as in what pe- people when Lundestrom was picked thought he would be the uh this solid two-way play two-way center that could put up points and be good offensively additionally. That is like Matty Beneers is that player and what some people even after the hat trick were saying uh, Isaac Lindstrom would become, and you and I tried to throw the brakes on that a bit. That is closer. Matty Beniers is closer to that than obviously Isaac Lindstrom will become. But that's kind of the the mold of the player that you're getting there. You're getting this high end two way player who has a high high motor, can really put up points. He's kind of in the Jonathan Taves mold, the Ryan Kessler mold, that type of player. Maybe not as hard physically no. as Ryan Kessler. That's not necessarily his game, but he can get in on the forecheck and has a high motor for that. Well, I think the big thing with Beniers is that he's such a good transition player. Yeah, he's, he's such a good skater in open ice. Yep, he's so good on his edges, and that's something that's so key in the modern game. You yep. watch, you watch these Vegas, Colorado matchups, and what's what's driving the bus for these teams? It's their would, ability to get out on the rush. Yeah, would a better comparison maybe be if we're trying to make the comparison to? Well, the problem call, is Lindstrom is just a totally different yeah, tier of yeah, prospect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Pivoting away from that slightly. Pivoting away from that. <laughs> Have and, I and, talked you down from that take? No, because I, I, I stand by it just from what I've heard from some people thinking of Lundestrom. But, okay. Um, Maybe Bob Murray? Is that yeah, one of the people? More so, yes. Um, <laughs> but looking at like Colorado, would you say he's kind of in the mold of a Nazem Kadri? Not as physical, but in, in a similar mold. Yeah, I think just an effective kind of play-driving center. Yep. But I think he's got a lot more skill than that. Yes. Although, although Kadri was a top 10 pick, top he was team pick. He yeah. Was. So Kadri was a, was a highly rated prospect, but yeah, I, I think with Beniers, I don't know where he would slot. Like let's say in last year's draft class, like if you were to put him among that group of forwards, I don't know where he would go. I think he's top 10. He'd I think go he's ahead of Jack Quinn for me. He would go ahead. He would definitely <laughs> go ahead of Jack Quinn. I think, he, I think honestly, he potentially would still go ahead of Marco Rossi. You and I disagree with that, that he should, yeah, but I think he would. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, but yeah, he's a high end forward prospect, and I think again, like that's what the Ducks need. They need to bolster that yeah. transition game. They yeah, need a, they need to bolster their kind of high end, their high end outcomes. Yeah, right. They need to have guys who can increase their probability. So anyway, so back back to your point, where if I just wanted to touch on that because it's key. If Beniers is there, we should briefly mention that. Yeah, but assuming Beniers is taken, assuming Beniers is gone, and Power is gone, number one. Yeah. Because I think, I think the, powers, no matter what, go in one or two. So I'll just give you who 
who other people have said that that they should take. So you've already brought this up, but Eric Stevens had the Ducks taking Dylan Gunther third overall. And Gunther is a weird case because he only played, I believe, 12 games in the WHL this year, put up 24 points. And it's really hard to get a good read on him because, for example, hockey prospecting, the model that we love with Byron Bader, who's been on our show, has him rated very highly. But the sample is so small there. What do you do with that? And then Cam Robinson at EP ringside in his mock draft had the Ducks taking Simone Edvinson at third overall, who is kind of a boomer bust pick to me as a defenseman. He's got potentially a really high upside and could also, there's people who say there's some issues in his game, his kind of hockey sense, different things like that. Will the skills translate? Will they develop? And so as you can see, there's a pretty broad spectrum there of possible picks. So where do you land? I think I know where you land, but let's just hear your Yeah, your so I, I think Dylan Gunther's an, a very interesting one. I wanted to, to bring this up. I want to give some people some numbers here because I think it, it's important to try to have some comparables with numbers and, and try to give people something with that. And so the the thing with Dylan Gunther that, that's interesting here is in the 12 games he played, he put up 24 points, which is insane. Putting up two points per game over the course of a season has not been done in the last 20 years by a draft-eligible player out of the WHL. Sam Reinhardt, outside of Gunther, has the most at 1.75 over 60 games. Uh, Nick Patan at 1.69. Seth Jarvis, 1.69. Leon Dreisaitl, 1.64 over 64 games. The key difference there, though, is all those players played 60-plus games, mm-hmm. whereas Gunther had a solid 12-game stretch. So it's very concerning to base a lot off that 12 game stretch because all of those guys could have had these insane 12 game stretches in those 60 game periods where they were over two points per game or at two points per game and then maybe fell off a bit. And I kind of decided to watch some clips on, on Gunther this past week and look at some of his goals because you can really kind of find some YouTube videos that, that basically show all of his goals when you only have 12 games. And a lot of them are, are kind of in transition, which obviously is something that's good in the NHL, but they're a lot of just finding the backdoor, pa- backdoor pass or being fed the backdoor pass, those types of plays. And you and I were discussing this a little bit on our watch along yesterday, but um, uh, was it Daryl Belfry had a quote where he's like, is that a junior goal or an NHL goal? Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned that potentially some of those points could be uh, junior goals. And granted, you still have to do well to, to accumulate those, but it's still a smaller sample size, and over the long course of a, a season, maybe those start to go away. And, and so that is, I guess, my slight concern when looking at Gunther is looking at some of those goals that were scored and how they were scored and seeing if that would be something that would necessarily be repeatable in the, the NHL. And, and so that is kind of where I'm concerned on that. As for uh, Simone Edvinson, um, I'm just concerned on that pick also, mainly because... He seems like a clone of Owen Power in the sense of big, big, tall left-hand shot defenseman um, and could be who the a lot of teams have identified as the player they want to take if, um, if uh, Owen Power has already been taken um, in the draft. And kind of watching some clips, he's an interesting player. He's very tall, very lanky, um, pretty good, good in skater. Tra- very good skater, good in transition. But yeah, I can get lost a little bit and it I just have some slight concerns because anytime I hear that a guy is a project defenseman, 
that's not necessarily something you want at a number three overall because that means there is some risk there. It, it is a higher risk play. Maybe the payoff's there. Maybe that's the reason well, also, you do it. Also with Edvinson, like, is the juice worth the squeeze, right? It, yes. Is, is taking a swing on a defenseman what you want to do? Because well, especially at third overall. Exactly, because if he hits, will it have been the weight? Will it have been worth the risk? Whereas with the forward, the payoff there is potentially just higher inherently. Yes, exactly. And so getting to the player that I actually like for third overall, assuming everything's played out the way it is, who knows if the Ducks would actually go this way, but the player that I like overall is William Eklund. And the reason for that is you look at some of the numbers over the uh, in the SHL for draft-eligible players, and this is what I like to look at is looking at their draft-eligible season and kind of seeing how things played out. Um, William Eklund on a points-per-game level – First off, the SHL played 40 games, uh, or uh, William Eklund played over 40 games this season. So this is pretty close to a normal season, honestly, for a lot of, uh, for the SHL. I think they did play a full season. But over the last 20 years, he has the second most points per game for a draft-eligible player out of the SHL. The only person that was higher was Elias Lindholm um, at .63. William Eklund is at .58. Nicholas Backstrom at 0.57 is below William Eklund. Um, other players kind of below him, Alexander Holtz, Mika Zabinijad, and he even this season outproduced Alexander Holtz, who was on his own team, outproduced Lucas Raymond, who was taken, what was Raymond taken? Fourth overall last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only, I guess, concern if you want to bring this up, because I think it's important to bring he's up all five, the different eight. Well, it's that, but also he's older. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to compare him to Lucas Raymond, who is was young for last year's draft, uh, William Eklund is an October birthday, October 12th. So he is an older birthday for this draft. Um, and so that might be a reason why you're slightly concerned on that. He's turning 19 in October. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so that might be a slight reason for concern there. But to get into what Eklund brings, Eklund is a, a winger. He can maybe play center. There's some people out there that think maybe you try him down the middle just to see what um, what you can do. Um, with him, but William Eklund, he's a guy that's kind of the, a bit of a playmaker from the wing. He also has a shot on him and really kind of does it all. And he's also good in his own zone, good defensively, good on the puck. And if you watch some clips of him, you'll see when the puck's on a stick, fun things happen, good things happen. And there was one goal that really stuck out to me. And now granted one goal. So could just be an (laughs) outlier here and want to completely say that. But when we were talking about junior goals versus NHL goals. There was one goal he scored where he basically shot the puck on net, followed his shot though, got around the defender who was in front of him, shot around around the faceoff dots, followed it, got to his rebound and put it in the back of the net. So created his own shot and got around the defenseman to get to his rebound and then potted the rebound. And those are the types of goals that I think if you want to look at, that is an NHL caliber goal because you're following your shot. You're getting to your rebound. You're For anyone that wants to say as a smaller guy, he may have trouble getting to dirty areas. He has no issues doing that if you watch some of his plays. And then he also had some plays like you remember Trevor Zegers' goal in the World Juniors where he did the spinorama behind the behind the goal to be able to feed it back the way that he was coming. And the I forget who he fed it to, but put it in the back of the net. William Eklund had a very similar goal or similar assist as that feeding the puck to Alexander Holtz this past season. And that's a really high IQ type of play to be able to pick out the guy and do a spinorama pass, kind of no look pass right onto the guy's tape to put it in the net. And so um, I'm just really all on board with William Eklund. I think he has the skill level. He has the scoring. I think the only person I would take over him would be a, a Matty Beniers because of the transition talent that he has. 
But I, I think that if the only downside that you have to William Eklund is a size, then you shouldn't be considering that a downside at all, downside at all. So I I did I have watched some William Eklund, and my mm-hmm. only concern with him is that the SHL is such a different game. It's such a totally different. It's very it's more open. It's more open. It's slower. There's more time to make decisions. There's a lot more control that you can have, mm-hmm. and that's. Again, this is true for any player in that league. So it's not it's not some crazy demerit. It's just it, it just makes me it makes it harder to project yes. how how that will translate because he's not quite I, I, I just didn't maybe it's just the games I watched. He wasn't quite as electrifying. Now these were end of the season, so maybe there was some fatigue there. But what there, I what, there was what I like, some there was something about with, him. Sorry, go ahead. I just want to say what I liked about him is that he does seem like a very intelligent player. He makes the right play, makes the simple play, and that's a skill that I think is projectable because he's, he doesn't look like the kind of guy who will force the issue. So there was something on Eklund that I can't really recall off the top of my head, but I think to start the season, he started out extremely, extremely hot, and I think he got injured or something, which may have caused yeah, a he, little bit of a downturn he, he, in his game. I, I watched his last couple of games in the SHL from this season, which were about – April and mm-hmm. I, I actually wasn't <laughs> super blown away. But again, it that, yeah. that's the problem with scouting is that it depends when you catch a guy, you know what, and then you have to kind of weigh that against the the whole body of work. I think what what's interesting is one name that we haven't talked about a ton is Mason McTavish, who is younger than William Eklund mm-hmm. and who is a different style of player, but is a center. Just kind of brings you a a different profile altogether, more physical more of a puck hound, more of like a playmaker type down the middle. Obviously, <laughs> completely different origin there out of the CHL. So not a name that we've discussed as much, but another name that I wouldn't, if they made that pick, wouldn't think that's such a terrible pick either. Um, Chris, so there, there's a wide range of outcomes there. Yeah, and I think I'm curious to see how much, I guess supposedly that um, Bob Murray was at the under-18s, world under-18s. He was there in person scouting that entire series. Our entire tournament uh, for the Ducks and Mason McTavish had 11 points in seven games in that tournament. And mm-hmm. whereas uh, Dylan Gunther had seven points in seven games, Brant Clark, seven points in seven games. So I wonder we sometimes overrate players due to world juniors. I wonder if the Ducks are maybe going to have that same might do the same thing based upon a seven games uh, world under 18s. I mean, it's possible, but I don't think that, McTavish would be this terrible pick either. No, and I think that's the key thing to say mm-hmm. here. Even though we're not as high on some of these players, I think that a lot of the the key thing to focus on here is the Ducks are not going to get a bad player. They're going to, no matter what they do, even if it's not an outcome I necessarily like, I think no matter well, what you, they're... You just want Eklund. I do, but whether it's <laughs> or, Eklund... Or even if it's Edmondson, I don't love it, but I think they're still going to get a solid player. And I yes. think that that's the key thing here. Is and, that- and, I, and I think that that's the lesson from last year is that the Ducks at sixth overall, I think that we both kind of had players that we thought that they should take, that they should target. And ultimately, they went with Jamie Drysdale, and Jamie Drysdale is a very good prospect, deepens their prospect pool, and yep. will ultimately make the Ducks a better team. And unless it's some egregious gap where it's a guy who wasn't yeah. projected at that range at all, I think that it's defensible. And that's why I think 
I think that the thing to note for all these discussions leading up to the draft is that we are not full-time prospect people. We are not no. full-time draft people, but the information that we are transferring to the people who are listening to us is from people who are full-time, from people yes. who do this for a living. And so our takes aren't out of nowhere. They're not just us kind of throwing we, stuff we, at the wall. We haven't necessarily had the time to watch all of the film that we possibly can on these players just because mm-hmm. there's not enough time really for us to do that. But there are people out there who have done that, and those are the people you and I listen to, you and I read to, to try to really get as much information as we can. Yeah, so like if the Ducks picked, you know, Brant Clark, uh, even Kent Johnson, if they pick any of these guys, I think in this range, it's it's not some cardinal sin. Yeah. Right? I mean, Before, I mean, of course, I'm, of course you have your favorites, but I think that's an important yeah. thing to know. Before we move on, let me ask this question, or before we actually jump into our ad read, Chris Kindred asked, just curious if you would trade third overall to the Jackets for fifth and 24th, or wherever so the a, Leafs pick ends up. So, so that's a question that's been thrown around. Not that one specifically. That's a good question. Uh, I think I would do that. I would personally. also. I would 100% do that, actually, just because if you think of the the value well, look at the, look at all look at how many names we just mentioned at third overall. Yeah, and to and to pick up an extra first, which the Ducks don't have right now. Mm-hmm. But there has been a, there have been a lot of questions, and I think this is a good way to maybe close out this topic. Is do the Ducks end up making this pick, or will they trade it? I think but, they do end up making this pick. I don't think they trade it. I don't think that that Bob Murray wants to move out the highest pick he's ever had. I agree with that, but there's there's chatter about yeah, the Ducks wanting I, to make a big swing this summer. There is, and I would... Bu- third, third overall to Buffalo? Would you do that? In a Jack Eichel trade? Given where the given the, the strength of this draft class, I would think about it. Yeah, because I would it, also. Because you're getting Jack Eichel. Yeah. I Jack mean, Eichel's better than anyone you're going to get from this draft class. Exactly. The, the, the issue is, is all about timing, and... and if the Ducks were two or three more years along in their rebuild, I think it lines up a lot better. But Jack Eichel potentially accelerates the rebuild. He does. He does. I mean, I, I guess just my whole thing is with this draft at third overall, and even if they had the first overall pick, I don't know if it's if I'm holding on to that pick. I, for I would feel better if I could get a bottom ten or a bottom top ten pick in, in if I was moving out. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think you want to maintain a first, but yes. that will be difficult. Yes. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's not a make that move at all costs kind of pick. There, there has to be a walkaway point in any kind of Eichel discussion. Yep. Yep. So word for time for word from our sponsor. I would say so. Yes. All right. So Father's Day is just around the corner and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The Lawnmower 4.0 get 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP, like Crash the Pond, at manscaped.com. So, Felix, Manscaped is the only men's dedicated men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and just launched their Lawnmower 4.0. And Felix, imagine surprising your dad. With a sleek, well-designed, and optimized body hair trimmer that says your balls will thank you on the box. What do you think your dad would say to that? I think, he, I think he'd probably think that that's hilarious. Because he would. It, it feels like that's something a dad would laugh at. Definitely. I mean, do you want to tell people a little bit more about this fourth-generation t- trimmer? So, Manscaped is kind enough to send us the, the latest Lawnmower 4.0. And I've got to say, I've been using it. I've used it on all, all the regions necessary to make a full assessment. And i got to say... 
works really well. It's very lightweight. It's easy to charge. It's got the LED light. It's got all the things that were great about the 3.0, but it's even more lightweight. It's also easier to clean now. They, they, they give you little brushes that you can get all the gunk out after you're done using it. So I've been a huge fan of it. Yeah, and I mean, as you mentioned it, that light, they actually improved the light this time because maybe you're in a place that's well lit already. You don't want to waste the battery. They mm-hmm. have a way for you to actually turn off the light this time if you don't want to use it, which is which that's is a it. nice a nice little addition. And so uh, it even actually has, and this is really nice because I mean, what what's worse than kind of going through the airport now that people are traveling again and your trimmer accidentally goes off and you have a buzzing <laughs> in your in your bag and people are going to be looking at you weird. Security might take it out and be like, "What are you doing?" Well. This upgraded trimmer has a, includes a multifunction on and off switch that can engage a travel lock. So it won't do that. It's yeah, locked. You, you won't go to jail at the airport for having your trimmer go off in the security yeah, line. Exactly. <laughs> and there's also a new wireless charging system. I'm all about that wireless charging life. Yeah, I have a wireless charger on my phone. It's and, awesome. And it's the best. And so they have that set up, uh, electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. So yes, wireless charging ball trimmers are a thing now and they also have amazing products like their cologne crop mop ball wipes crop reviver ball toner and crop preserver ball deodorant and for all the females listening you'll appreciate this part manscaped products are cruelty free paraben free dye free and vegan uh so you can get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code ctp at manscaped.com you can get your dad a gift you know they will use so that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code ctp don't forget that you came from your dad's balls this year show your original home self loved with manscaped love it love it go get them Go get him. Also, my dad has ear hair, so I should I should get him you, the weed should, whacker. Yeah, definitely get him the weed whacker. <laughs> <laughs> a little preview for when I when I get up there. Um, but yeah, so go check that out, everybody. Help support your favorite podcast. Now let's move on. This is an annual rite of passage, Jake. This is something that we've come to make a tradition here on the podcast on Crash the Pond, and it's the annual end of season. Bob Murray press conference where he lets us into his mind for about 30 minutes and we get to hear what he has to say, what he thinks about the status of his team and where things are headed. So this year was no different. He gave his press conference this time via zoom to the assembled media. And the first thing that was said that was important to note was that he's coming back as yeah. is Dallas Aikens. But we have confirmation. Hey, we, there was there was still some lingering doubt about whether or not you were driving that train of maybe they weren't going to come back. Well, it is confirmed now he will be back for one more season. So for, first off, just right off the bat, your reaction to that? Um, it's a mistake, <laughs> but it's one that I think we, we both eventually saw coming. No, no surprise. No, no surprise. surprise. I think that the fact that it hadn't been announced within a week or pretty soon after the season ending uh, meant that it was likely they were both coming back. And it seems as if a big reason, just in my personal opinion, no actual insight on this, but I would think that the ducks don't want to have to buy guys out to not essentially fulfill the duties or pay guys to do nothing. They're doing that enough with Corey Perry. They probably don't want to do that in this. Aspect. Oh, he, he's doing a whole lot. He's doing know. a whole lot. Um, and, and so I think that they don't necessarily want to do that uh, as of right now. But, I mean, maybe my read is wrong as we get into some of Bob maybe Murray's Maybe they quirks. actually believe in his plan. Maybe. I Maybe Dallas Aikens more so is that than Bob Murray, though. Uh, 
Who knows? Either way, it's maybe not the best thing. Yeah, 100%. So, um, yeah, so that that was kind of where it started. My first reaction was, this is kind of what I expected, but it is what it is. Yeah, no surprise. And to be honest with you, even though I think that somebody somebody should have paid the price for this season and really for the last three seasons, and I think one of them should have been the general manager – in a weird way, I think one more year of this, assuming that it's one more year, might not be the worst thing because the Ducks probably aren't going to be very good next season no. anyway. No. And especially now with Jeff Solomon in tow as an assistant general manager who potentially could be the heir apparent. Look, if if Bob Murray and Dallas Akins again next year showed no tangible progress with this group of players, maybe that strengthens the case for Solomon to be the next GM as soon as two seasons from now. And yeah. so in a weird kind of roundabout way, maybe though my maybe Aikens and Murray returning is not this this the, kind of and the only situation. the only thing I do want to say on this, because I think that this is an important piece that I don't think been, has really been talked about enough. This is the perfect offseason. I don't think you're gonna have another offseason where you have so many good coaches available. And I think that there is a big missed opportunity with that. And so obviously with Bob Murray still here, there's no way Bruce Boudreau would come back. That, that relationship is too strained. There's no way that would happen. So it would take Bob Murray getting let go for, for Bruce Boudreau to come back. But you have Gerard Gallant available. You have Claude Julien available. You obviously, like I said, have Bruce Boudreau available. Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't think that the Ducks could afford any of those coaches because those are coaches that are $3 million plus. Depends. I mean, it depends. Who knows where Bruce is at at this and point also, in time. But yeah. Do, do you think Claude Julien and Gerard Gallant want to come coach a team that's Probably not going to be very good again. It next depends. Year. It depends. It depends on what they want. Depends on what they want to do. Depends on where they're I, at. If I, they want to just jump I, right back in. I think with Julian, you can safely say that he wouldn't want that. Julian probably would not. Gallant might. What, well, I think Gallant's going to Seattle. I think Gallant. No, I think he's going to New York. So either a big market that's going to pay them, yeah, or, or an interesting opportunity. But I, I, I just don't think the Ducks are in that ballpark. I mean, Dallas. That's Aikens, fair. Is on the lower end of of salaries. I think he's at one point five million uh, in the NHL coaching range, and so the Ducks are kind of in that budget area, and so that's why I don't think that those big fish that are out there that's are fair. really are realistic for the Ducks. Totally and completely fair. But but I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong though. Like I mean, in theory, those guys. In theory, make, this is a good off season to be, have a coaching vacancy but because I of how many think, guys. But pragmatically, I just don't know if those guys are really fair. available to the Ducks. That's a fair point. That, that, um, that's definitely a fair point. So I, I think getting into kind of the next uh, comment, because the, the Ducks on their website have um, uh, have essentially a transcript uh, of the conversation. And so that's what I'm kind of going off of here. I watched what they did put on Twitter. You actually have been able to watch the entire media availability. Um, but the, the next big thing was on Jeff Solomon and, and him being hired as VP of Hockey Operations. And... Here is the the quote, I think, that, that kind of is very important. Uh, supposedly, it came about pretty quickly once David McNabb had announced that he was going to retire or let them know that he was going to retire. Uh, Bob Murray had heard that Jeff Solomon was going to be moving on from L.A. and jumped kind of right in. Um, but 
Um, here's the quote. Jeff brings the analytical analytic component to our organization that really needs to be upgraded and move forward. I just haven't pushed hard enough to move it forward, but this was a good time for us to do that. And we got lucky. We got a break. Finally, I've seen the success the LA Kings have had on and off the ice. And I've seen their signings. They have some, we all have a few funky contracts, but their contracts are very good. That's number one. And I've dealt with Jeff for years and there's just a whole bunch of mutual respect there. And that is key because if that is part of the selling point, part of the reason that Jeff Solomon was sought out and um, wanted to go to Anaheim to establish potentially, we don't know what the depth of it will be yet, but potentially an analytics department and not just, you know, like an intern or a scout also doing charts on the side. That's huge for the Ducks because this, they were one of the kind of last franchises in the league that didn't have a really a dedicated staff to looking at analytics. And so if if that's part of what Solomon is bringing and also that Bob Murray sounds like he's on board with it, I think that this is a yeah. like unquestionably it, this is a positive development for the franchise. I think I think it, I think it's definitely that. I think this can be common can be twofold. I think it can be a very positive thing for the Ducks moving forward. And also, I want to bring this up. I don't know if I've said this on this podcast or as the Patreon. I'm not sure. But Rob Volman, uh, who's written Stat Shot, did Hockey Prospectus, he went to the LA Kings mainly because of Jeff uh, Solomon and basically had this quote basically saying, uh, I know his commitment to this field. By this field, he means the analytics. It's not just an infatuation or a fad to him or to the organization when talking about the Kings. So this is not Jeff Solomon just kind of lip service, this is kind of what he he was in charge of but didn't really believe in type of deal. This is something he believes in and he's going to be bringing with him. This is not maybe the uh, what we were maybe sold by Dallas Akins when we thought he was more so an analytics-friendly coach, but maybe some other things that we've seen don't really lend itself to that. It seems like Solomon is definitely in the boat of this is important, this is where the league's going, This we need this department. And so I, no matter what, this is a good thing moving forward. Here's my concern slightly, and I do just want to mention this, is that Bob Murray is the person that held this back, that didn't push this forward, that didn't do any of that. Is that a surprise, though? No, it's not. But kind of I'm going somewhere with this is that the he's still at the head of all this. He's still going to be this season, at least above uh, Jeff Solomon. And if he's the guy above him, he's the decision maker. So is he actually going to listen to Solomon on this? Well, okay. So I think that's a fair point. It's totally fair. Mm-hmm. But I also think it would be hard to believe that Jeff Solomon would come here Agreed. if he didn't think that he would have a voice, that he that's wouldn't have fair. a chance to be listened to. That's fair. Um, because the thing is, again, this is an assistant general manager that's that has that cachet that, that's actually going to be the one pushing for this. Having an analytics staff in your organization that's, I think, where a lot of the times it get lost. It gets lost. But because he's a, also viewed as a, a guy who's been in the game for a long time, who has that ability to communicate the numbers, who has a, an ability to communicate that information, that, that's maybe even more than half the battle within these organizations is not only to believe in the information, but to be able to communicate it to the decision makers. And so I think for Solomon, I'm more optimistic than you, or I think that he will be, Maybe not, you know, I don't think he's going to be holding the controller, but I think he'll have a decent amount of input. Yeah, and I'm trying to find the quote because it actually wasn't in there. But there was a quote where basically um, Bob Murray kind of said something that the 
it was something along along the lines of essentially being able to understand the information that that's Jeff's gonna gonna be Solomon's biggest thing with analytics yeah. is putting together a staff that can essentially help uh, portray the information. Yeah, it, 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 I don't think it was in this interview. I think it was with with someone else. But yes, anyway. So so the point there is that, and I also just want to say this. This is kind of where I was going with this. You have the quote. I will find it once I remember where it was. Okay. Well, I just want to take a quick victory lap because for everybody that has told us, told me, told you, anyone that we know over the last few years, as long as I've been talking about the Ducks, that analytics don't matter, that the decision makers don't look at that stuff, that that this is just like a niche field. To see the Ducks go out and seek someone who that is part of their background and value his opinion, that's a pretty high level of validation for believing in this process, for believing in using data to make decisions. So here's would the quote. You, would you agree with that, by the way? Yeah, so here's the quote. And this is actually something that I want to bring up before we kind of get back to Murray's quotes. Mm-hmm. I remembered where it was from. It was in 31 Thoughts, the blog from yes. this past week. So here's here's the full blurb from, from Elliot Friedman. Uh, Murray, uh, Murray said Sunday, it's not that this, so this was after that interview, Murray said Sunday, it's not that he doesn't believe in an- analytics, but the organization had challenges finding a way to process the data. Jeff will help us take the next step in that. What he explained caught, uh, caught my attention. We're going to spend on infrastructure to do what we need to do. Asked to expand on that. Murray came up with some interesting examples. The Seattle expansion draft looms, and Murray talked about what happened with Vegas, where the Ducks lost Shea Theodore. He was careful with details, but admitted there are things they learned in the aftermath of the process that had to be changed. He also mentioned scouting and the world of strength, traditioning, or strength training and uh, athletic therapy. When we heard Solomon was available, we moved fast. So a lot to unpack there, but I think that this is a very interesting quote that I want to unpack slightly with you here. So the first part of it, is somewhat concerning actually very concerning in the sense of it's good moving forward that they now understand that they need to have someone who can put together the data and the infrastructure to be able to do this. It's concerning that they had never realized this before. Um, and that it kind of shows a little bit of a lack of wanting a lack of wanting to learn. It explains, look for me, I just am totally surprised I, by all this. It, it, it I'm, just I'm, uns- I'm unsurprised for sure. So for me, I'm just, it's hard for me to look at it that way. Cause that's already what I thought was going on. Fair. All of this to say though, that when you look at how the franchise has trended the last three to four years, it makes more sense. Yeah. When you I hear mean, quotes like that. I mean, finding a way to process this data, just look at the stuff you and I look at all the time. Look at the yeah, player cards, look at that but, type of stuff. These aren't the, that hard. Yeah. But the thing is, Here's the issue with saying that is that you're telling that to someone like us who, you know, we don't have decades of looking at the game a certain way. We didn't play in the NHL. We don't have this like ego about it, right? We don't have that way of looking at it. And so telling someone like Bob Murray to look at it that way is a lot harder. It's a lot harder to get someone like that to buy in because you're essentially telling them that everything that you know or it's one way that they may take it is everything that you know, all this experience that you have actually having played the game, been around the game mm-hmm. is maybe not quite as valuable. It's not the silver bullet when it comes to evaluation that you thought it was. And that's why it's so critical fair. of how you communicate it because you that, don't want to step on toes. Point. You don't, you don't want to make someone feel like, Hey, guess what? It actually doesn't matter what you did. You want to, you want to walk that fine line. And I think that that's what Solomon, it sounds like that's a fair point. That, that is a very fair point. 
On the second point, though, the Seattle expansion draft looms, and Murray talked about what happened with Vegas. What do you think this is about? So I took this either two ways. I took this either, as Kevin BX on his podcast had pointed out, Bob Murray had initially come to him about waiving his uh, no-move clause, and Murray and BX accounted saying, I'll do it if you give me an extension. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Murray later basically came back to him and said, we actually don't need to do this. Uh, we, we found a way around it, so sure, you're good to go. We're protecting you. Mm-hmm. And the w- workaround was this. So do you think that the it was either their kind of understanding of the expansion draft rules or do you think it was their player development slash maybe even aging curves understanding that came into play here? Well, I, I don't know. It's hard to take it, away. It's a, it's a lot of speculation on our part with that. It's hard. Well, our it's <laughs> mine. It, it, it's, it's hard to take away anything specific from that. I just, my takeaway from that was just more like we screwed up. Yes. I think that that's what it sounds like is an, is a very, very soft admission of, Hey, we probably didn't do this all that well. Yeah. And I mean, interesting on the, the mention of scouting, seeing as the ducks are notoriously like lauded for their amateur scouting. And he said that their scouting has to get better. Interesting note. there. Well, I think if you look at their record over the last five years or so, there's, mm-hmm. there's some misses. It's, it's look, I mean, yep. that's what you're going to, that, that's what you expect. It's not going to be all hits, but it, maybe their their success rate has gone down a little bit but getting getting back to the press conference though yep i think outside of the solomon thing which was i think the big revelation outside of that i got to say a lot of this was kind of we've heard this before mm-hmm. right it, where it's the 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 young, you know the the veterans the, this time he switched it up he called them the middle aged players the middle aged players have to get better they have to get on board with what we're doing here the 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 rebuild the word rebuild was used by the way. So there, it was a lot of the same reluctantly, stuff. but yes, I think that there is some, I think that what one thing that he kind of pointed to quite a bit was that it has become clear, which younger players are going to be potentially top six forwards, you know, going into the next couple of seasons. I think that that's become clear to him. There was some praise from Max Contois, uh, praise for Isaac Lundestrom, Praise for Max Jones. None for Troy Terry. But I think that the the subtext can, there can is I, that. Can uh-huh. I can I back up real quick on that? He praised Max Jones and Max Comtois for drawing penalties, the two guys that draw the most mm-hmm. penalties for us. This is an easily measurable thing. Mm-hmm. And Max Comtois, Max Jones did draw the most penalties for the Ducks on a per 60 level basis and on a total basis. But the... Uh, the second most player is Troy Terry. Max Comtois is a little bit further behind. Um, so I, I just find it interesting that he he's putting together this narrative and saying they draw them as penalties because they go to the, the tough areas on the ice when you can easily look at a number, look at it and say, actually, wait, Comtois did not draw as many penalties as Terry. So yeah. uh, just, just well, funny there. Well, well, so I think, yeah, I mean, the, the, it, it was interesting that Terry didn't get named, but I think that, just kind of reading between the lines, it's pretty clear that he was one of the guys that they were talking about. One thing that was kind of cryptic, though, in regards to what he will do this summer, is he he did mention how he's very anxious, very curious to see what happens right around the expansion draft, that short time frame between the expansion draft and the draft. And he talked about that there's a lot of there's a number of teams that are so close to the cap and that it's unbelievable. So it's tying some people's hands, but it also makes opportunities for other teams if they have space 
And in theory, the Ducks could be one of those teams that have cap space. And I'm just curious if all this anxiety that Murray has for that time period, is he looking at wheel and deal? Is there potentially something that he's trying to get done during that time frame? And and that's something he mentioned is he's looking for scoring. Yeah. Yeah, he repeated that over and over. Yeah. (laughs) That, That they need scoring and that they need to improve the power play. And so it's funny because... This is something I think I may have told you on the watch along or I don't know when. One thing I found about this press conference is I feel like Murray is good at identifying what is wrong with the team. Like if if you were to if he were to sit down with us or if you were to be on this podcast, I think he would agree with almost everything that's wrong with the team except maybe like who's behind the bench or Derek Grant, things like that. But it's just the solutions to those yeah. problems are where we start to diverge because it sounds like, you know, maybe he wants to go and make a trade for a top six forward. Like he talked about that he, that they, they need to get help up front. That well, that's something and, that needs to happen. And when he was asked like about, uh, he doesn't understand why the guys have suddenly fallen off. Why, why the guys mm-hmm. are not scoring anymore. Why the Jack Silverberg's are. And I mean, it's pretty obvious why they haven't. I mean, that isn't obviously an issue for this team, but the reason why they have fallen off is aging curves. When the guys get to over 30, there can be a decline. It can be pretty steep also for these guys, especially when injuries come into play. But here's what's funny, though. Here's what's funny about that is that he was asked, why has the team struggled to score? And he said that we've we've gotten older and maybe I waited Mm -hmm. too too long to start this rebuild. We got older. Guys are are less willing to go to those places. So it, so that's the funny thing well, is that I think he does understand it somewhat, but also doesn't. He's also and he's also putting things on the middle aged guys. When I mean, here's the issue. I mean, let's get to the real crux of all of this. The Ducks haven't actually rebuilt. Haven't actually tried to rebuild the team. They haven't. I like. I'm not gonna like buy any argument that they they have tried to rebuild this roster. Mm-hmm. The guys they've moved out have been on the peripheral that they've moved out. None of them have been the core members of this roster. Core members right. because of the team. that's what. Because that's what rebuilding really enta- yeah. entails is that there has to be a significant change. Yeah, I mean, if you want to say loot, buying out Corey Perry, fine, whatever. But Corey Perry was well over thirty. You haven't bought out, and you haven't moved. You he haven't was done coming anything. off one of his worst seasons. So. Yeah, you you haven't actually moved out a guy with high value that's in his core and his prime age to get assets to help you rebuild the franchise with an eye towards the future. That mm-hmm. at the end of the day is what a rebuild is. And so Bob Murray utilizing the word rebuild doesn't mean anything to me, honestly, until he actually does something to back that up. Mm-hmm. Just being completely honest here, like this has nothing to do, honestly, with the comments he said. It's just one thing when I when I look at these quotes, it's almost like talking out of both sides of your mouth. He, he's talking as if he understands certain things, but then doesn't when he says our, our, our middle-aged guys need to be better. I don't know what's happened with Raquel. He's getting his scoring chances, all the different stuff. And basically, we need to help him out instead of actually understanding what this roster needs. Like he has, I, I think at the end of the day, a, a big issue here is just having too much of a too much of his own skin in the game with these players that mm-hmm. he feels like he needs to have them on this roster that he's loyal to these players. And in reality, he needs to try to rebuild the team, rebuild the franchise. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is that I think that even though he's using that word now, uh, it's still the actions don't really match. And maybe this summer will bring that. And so I don't know if I have another specific comment I really want to hit. Um, I have more of like a big picture takeaway. Yeah, I mean, here's the quote on Ricardo Raquel. I just want to bring this up. Ricky has had two. uh, I don't have quite the answers as to why some of our production has gone down. 
Um, Ricky has had two years in a row where he's just not scoring and he does get scoring chances. We've got to get them back on the right page with the coaching staff. We have to come up with a few new ideas on how to do this, how to get to tough areas to score goals. And I think that is somewhat concerning when looking at like an analysis perspective. Yes, that is an issue for this team, but I think that the issue there is not understanding what Raquel is Mm -hmm. and trying and not understanding what made Raquel successful. What made Raquel successful wasn't necessarily going to the dirty areas. It was the fact that he was playing with Ryan Getzloff. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that you're missing some things when when kind of you're doing that with your analysis and, and what he was doing there. So I, I think that the other thing I want to kind of bring up is kind of there were some comments that were very clearly that he didn't understand aging curves. And well, so I, I, I really hope just lo- with let me finish this and then kind of jump in with whatever you want. I hope Jeff Solomon, if he truly is, which I fully expect and I trust like everything we've read, is a very analytic friendly, really understands the game on that aspect. I really hope that Solomon, now that he's really kind of within the organization, he's hired, he's part of it, he can sit down with Bob Murray and almost go over these quotes and kind of tell him, here's why. Here's what's going on. Here's what the numbers are saying. Here's where you're at. These guys are are past their prime. They're going down. We need to be moving them out. We need to do all this different stuff. And I think that that will be very, very important for this Ducks franchise. Yeah, and there was some kind of interpretations from what he said that there will be a coaching change in terms of the assistant coaches. And so it doesn't sound – it sounds like Morrison and Wilford could potentially both be out. I think it's. it seems like the assumption is that Mark Morrison is gone. And so there's your change, folks. After the worst season in franchise history, an assistant yeah. coach is gone. Um, I don't know. I mean, my big takeaway is that I think Murray is slowly coming to terms with the actual state of his franchise about where things are going. Yeah. I think he's still clinging to a lot of problematic views about how this all works. It is important, though. The first step is to admit that you have a problem, and I think that they are doing that. And slowly, maybe I'm just an optimistic person, but I think slowly but surely this franchise is inching in the right direction. Do you you think this, do you think any of this changes what their plan or modifies their plans or what you thought their plan would be in the offseason? Because I think that was our big topic last podcast we did was the Ducks offseason plan. What's kind of concerning to me is that I think McNabb is still in the picture because he talked about him, David, and Jeff need to sit down and talk about the contracts for the RFAs well, and different things I like think that. It's, I think it's trying to essentially relay information on where their cap is. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if their plans substantially change, but look, once Solomon is in that room, is is at the table, we will see. But I'm, I don't know. I think that if you're a Ducks fan and just with how brutal the last three years have been, I think it's okay to feel like very cautiously optimistic. I still expect next season to be very difficult. I mean, if the Ducks make this big leap in the standings next year, just right now, based on how the roster is constructed, I would be surprised. But I think that there are better days ahead not in a not-too-distant future. Maybe, maybe you disagree with that. No, I don't. But, sorry, one thing that... Are you done kind of talk? Are you done with that? Because there is one thing. One <laughs> Will other you shut thing. up now? Will you yeah. stop talking? Well, no, no, no. Sorry. I just, re- <laughs> I just remembered one other thing, seeing as we were talking about the draft earlier, um, to bring up. Because I thought it was just an interesting quote when he was talking about the draft, saying, "From when I have been out scouting and seeing that it uh, that it is a top end, uh, heavy defense draft. There are a couple of good young forwards in there. 
we're going to we're going to take as we always have the best player available we'll make our list and we won't make our list by position but the best player available then as it goes down the road as you get deep uh defensemen are always more valuable to move everyone uh need everybody needs defensemen so we'll take the best player do you yeah, take I, anything from that zero yeah i don't either the only thing that was weird is that him saying uh defensemen are value always valuable to move and it's just like the Ducks haven't moved – I mean, I guess they moved Montour if you want to look at that, and they got a decent the, return. The, the one funny quote to me was when he, he said to the reporters, we have some good young defense prospects that you guys haven't even heard about. And it's like, well, I mean – Are you talking about Henry Thrun? Are you talking about Jackson Lacombe? Is this Lacombe? about, about Thrun, Lacombe, uh, Moore? It's like, you know, we, we follow. We, we follow the team. We, yeah. we know who's being drafted. Yeah. Exactly. We, I mean, we know, may, may, maybe some of the media members in that conference didn't know them. Maybe, maybe, but yeah. I mean, I mean, Jackson Lacombe. I mean, to his credit, uh, made the All Star team for I'm um, spacing. I think it was Big Ten. Is that the the conference that you Michigan? Know, you, know that you know what? You know what? My surprise. In? My surprise from this podcast, Jake, is that you're not watching the USA Mexico soccer match that's going on. I didn't even know it was happening. To be honest, that's embarrassing for you. I guess as I a know. professed soccer fan, I am a soccer fan. Well, you know, it is what it is. Anyway. Oh, Ginger Wolf saying definitely high prospect for the Ducks on defense. Cody Coran. <laughs> well, I mean, if the Ducks go D in this draft, I will be very curious to see who will it be because there's a wide there, there's a bunch of guys that they could take. Will it be Hughes? Will it be Edvinson? Will it be Clark? I, I hope it's Clark. If it's going to be a defenseman, yeah. I mean, do, does power fall? If power falls, to, like that's the thing. If power is available at three, I think it's a very defensible pick. It like it's, it's a very good pick. I have I have said you know kind of stay away from Owen Power, but that was more under the thought of if the Ducks get one or two. Mm-hmm. I think at three, if like Beniers, if Clark, if some of those guys are off the board, then yeah, getting another guy, another excellent defenseman in your stable isn't the worst thing in the world either so yeah exactly i think that, I mean, that... if eklund was available and they take they take power would you be upset no yeah that's the thing i don't because like, I, think... I i i still think for me personally i, I would take eklund over him but i think that well, i also, understand why power a has... team would take power yes and also power i think we should make clear has some offensive upside yes He's not like a purely shut, you know, I no. don't think he's the, the traditional stay at home. I think he has, I think like he has more offensive upside than Hampus Lindholm does. And that's a player who's been compared to a little bit as of now. Yeah. And I think just in general, younger players these days, all are more offensive. Like then, you know, I think guys are kind of a little more positionless than they used to be. Yeah. And so the skills are just more transferable. Yep. So anything else you want to bring up or want to jump to some questions? Uh, no, I've got nothing else. I do want to ask you though. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you pay for the Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul fight? That's God. the big question tonight. God, no, no. And I still <laughs> haven't actually seen what happened. All I know I, is I've got, I, I've I, gotten text. I've got text messages from friends saying that was a waste of time. Yeah. And we will so never I, get the time back that, that that was. Yeah. So I'm looking on Twitter here while, while you've been talking. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm outing myself here, but you are. Uh, but yeah, apparently it was it was an awful fight. Floyd May- Floyd Mayweather won. Did he uh, knock no, him out? No knockout. Wait, but there were no judges. Exactly. Well, people are saying he won, like that they went the distance, oh. but there were no judges, so no official victory. Yeah, that's dumb. Jake Paul Jake Paul just tweeted in all caps, "My my brother just beat Floyd Mayweather." Of so. course. <laughs> M Young saying I, it was a hugging match. 
I, I really want to apologize to everyone that's listening that didn't want to hear about this, but it is kind of fun to talk about because of just how much of a joke it is, yeah. how ridiculous it is. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's get into some questions. So for those of you watching on YouTube, yes, we do put this video on YouTube. The The Twitch stream goes up there, youtube.com slash CrashedPawn. Or watching on your favorite podcasts or listening on your favorite podcast services, whether that's Spotify, whether that's Apple Podcasts, whether it's any of the other ones. Uh, we do a live stream of the show each and every time at twitch.tv slash CrashedThePond. And uh, at there... or at at twitch you can help support the show if you have amazon prime you get one free twitch prime sub each and every month where you can help support this show and it does help out significantly you get special badges next to your name special emotes in the chat and it really does help support the show and you can be just like odog81 who resubbed at tier one for three months in a row uh saying that he was a child when the ducks won the cup um kempafu resubbed for 23 months uh and he said wallstead is gonna be a uh gonna be great in a duck sweater dan grinshaw said uh resubbed for 10 months and fat geralt resubbed for six months in a row thank you so thank you so much to all of you so let's jump into some questions it's been a while because you didn't go to a ducks game at honda center this year right i did not okay neither did i but that guy bobski asked best food option in honda center Ooh. That is a tough one. I don't All think right. Well, because usually I'm going to be honest, I'm outing myself here again. That this is a Revelations podcast. Most of the money I spend at Honda Center is on alcohol. So so usually in in the budget there in in my salary cap, there's not a lot of room left over for food there. Yeah, and here's my thing on it. Are when you a nachos guy at sporting events? I am at baseball games. I feel like they're too much trouble. The helmet nachos are the way to go at Angel Stadium. Okay. The helmet nachos that, like, the thing is, it can't just be, like, chips with cheese. Like, you got to do full-on nachos if you're getting nachos. But I won't do it at hockey games. Honestly, like, if you're going to Honda Center and you're buying food there, you got to just understand that it's going to be extremely expensive. And that's just got to be out. Price is not part of the conversation. I've spent over $100 at a Ducks game before. Not afraid to admit it. Yeah. And I the, think it was all beer, by the way. The They have, like, uh, fries that are pretty damn good that are, like, they do one with gravy and crispy chicken and, and some bacon bits. Those are pretty oh, good. Oh, I think I've seen that one, The yeah. pizza, The pizza's solid, honestly, also. Like, don't yeah, sleep nice, on that. Nice and microwaved. Yummy. Yeah. It, no, they Yummy. have a brick oven uh, pizza no place. Yeah. No, I don't believe yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the Sierra Nevada area, you can see the oven. Oh, okay. I think... Again, that my pizza. memory my memory from a lot of Ducks games is kind of hazy. So yeah. forgive me. Yeah. Um Ginger Wolf asks a uh, question. Felix, do you like Corey Perry even more now that he's single-handedly leading your team to the Stanley Cup? Perry is still good. There it is, folks. There it is, folks. Hashtag <laughs> Perry is still good. It's still going. It's still alive. It's back. It's back, baby. Um I may actually buy a Corey Perry Montreal jersey if they I hope if, you do. if they make the cup final. I hope you do. Um, he's he's been awesome. He, he's just so much fun to watch, and and you can just. I know that we don't do intangibles in the show, but you can just tell how much he cares, how much it means to him to still be playing meaningful hockey at this stage of his career, especially because he was he's been cast off from different places. Well, he was in the Cup final last year. Yeah, and so I think it's just a cool story. It's a it's a feel good story. A really good player, and he's kind of developed some chemistry on that line with Eric Stahl and Yoel Armia. I don't know how much of a product that is of playing the Jets, but even even against Toronto, he was playing well. And so I, yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving life 
uh, actually cheering for Corey Perry as a member of my own team. Uh, that guy Bobsky following up on his previous question, what food should they add to Honda Center? Uh, hmm, good question. Maybe... I, have a, I have a very easy answer. I think I know what you're going to say, but go for it. Uh, gonna add an OC staple, TK Burger. Ooh. Yeah, like a legit burger would be nice, actually. That's yeah. a good suggestion because, you know, like you can get a burger probably, but it's their like... Their burger, their bacon cheeseburger actually is pretty damn good. I should also say that. <laughs> I feel like Jake's had the whole menu at Honda Center. I Probably. I don't know. <laughs> well, you've been going to games there for a long time. Yeah, so exactly. The M&Ms are good. <laughs> good, good, good peanut M&Ms. They're always better in the box for some reason. Than okay, so uh, give a food suggestion. A food suggestion? I was going to say get some poutine in there. They, they've a... had poutine at some point. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, get, I... get, 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 one caveat, get good poutine, not like, you know, not lip service poutine. All right, Dalton Keys asks, who's the third best team in the Pacific next season? Ooh, well, okay, I need to refresh my memory now. Who's going to be in the Pacific? Vegas, uh, Vegas, Seattle, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, L.A., San Jose, and That division's going to be bad. It's gonna be it's gonna be Vegas, then Edmonton, then Calgary. I think Edmonton will make some changes this offseason and I, I could see them coming back and being the second best team. And then third best is probably gonna be Calgary, is my bet. Seattle number two? No. Seattle's with, Seattle's with, gonna be worse. With Jesper Wallstadt and that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so wait, who finishes third? That was the question. Uh so I got I don't know, this is a tough one. That's why he asked the third question, not second. Second. Okay, easy. I'm gonna I'm gonna go bold here. You ready for my bold take? San Jose. I'm gonna say LA gets Jack Eichel and finishes third. Interesting. Yeah. M Young says, especially after his performance at, and leadership at the World, do you think there's a chance Seattle takes Henrique? So Nick Alberga today tweeted that that you know that Seattle's gonna enjoy uh, Adam Henrique or something to that effect and. He's been right about everything Adam Henrique related for obvious reasons due to the, the connection there. I'm pretty sure that that was joking, but who knows? A lot of truth is said in jest. And so maybe Seattle's approach to Anaheim when it comes to the expansion draft, or let's just take a player who will help us for the next few years, who helps us get to the cap floor and who will bring mm-hmm. some leadership. So I'm going to say it. I could see it. I could, I could see, see it. Cause it. I could, I, the, the, the thing is for Anaheim, there just aren't that many other options. So yeah. you can, you can almost defend any option for, do for you, Seattle. Do you think he's saying that and the ducks are going to trade something for them to take Henrique? Ooh, because I think, be- I think that's what it would take for them to take Henrique. Ducks. I have to give him a, th- a third, fourth round pick. Would you do that? If you're the ducks? no, no, I mean, getting off that contract would be nice. It'd be and nice, a, but like a fourth round pick. I'd rather hold on to my picks. The Ducks are a bad team. Stop trading I, picks. I understand, but they traded space... a fourth round pick for freaking Nick Delorier. Stop trading picks. I understand, but cap space is valuable, and I don't see Adam Henrique's value. I guess I, I don't, I don't know. think. Like I, I think it's it's kind of like a it's a get out of jail almost free card. Yeah, Fair. so I, I think it's defensible. It's defensible. I don't think I would do it, but sure. Um, Shadow Ops Gaming said, do you guys think Bob Murray will try to trade for Eichel, Pierre-Luc Dubois, or Line? Red th- uh, Friedman's 31 thoughts that the Ducks will uh, try even hard or try even harder to get Dubois. I don't think Dubois going anywhere. Basically, the what was in 31 thoughts was that the Ducks made a very serious pitch for 
for Pierre-Luc Dubois. No Zegers or Drysdale. That, yeah, no Zegers or Dar- Drysdale. But he said, I do think they will try to take a big swing. They've got flexibility. Another team pointed out they could have open space on its protected list depending on what they want to do. do you, Going to do be you, an interesting Do you think they there. offered Contois? Just random thought. For, Probably. For Dubois. Probably. Do yeah, you think so, Contois' value is higher now? Yes. If World Championship, he's got that little shine. Oh, I didn't even mean that, but sure. Well, and also the season he had. Um I think that look there there's where there's smoke there's potentially fire and I think that they will have conversations. I don't know if it'll go anywhere. I don't know because if you're not willing to trade Zegers or Drysdale that does limit your market Ooh. a little bit. Ken Pafu with an interesting take by the way on the Henrique situation. I think it's okay to trade a fourth uh for them to take on Henrique and then take on a bad contract as a result of that for a year and get a first as a result. Well that's that's what I was saying like cap space is valuable yeah, and that yeah. that is a good point. If you use it um yeah. and Jake is just so pessimistic still. Oh, one hundred percent. I fully admit it. <laughs> that colors everything you say, which is fine. I mean, it's it's not unwarranted. About, yeah, there's a been. there's a reason. I here's yes. the thing. I used to be optimistic. <laughs> used to. I was happy once. <laughs> once, way way back when, <laughs> and then Bob Murray beat it all out of me. Yeah. Um. All right. So, uh, Lewis X uh X two and I said Sprite or Seven Up. Never had seven up, or maybe I have. I think they're kind of the same. Yeah, I, I'd I, probably I go sprite. There. I'd probably go sprite. I don't I really mean, know the, I, the difference that much. I don't. I'm not a big fan of that type of soda, though. That's not something I go out of my way to drink. What's your favorite soda? Uh, probably Coke or Dr Pepper. Interesting. When I did used to drink soda, and by the way, I'm not saying this to like shame people who do. I have my vices when I eat. Don't worry. Anyone who knows me knows that, but I'm a Diet Coke to, guy now. When I used to drink soda, I loved orange soda. Any orange soda, but specifically Crush. Very good. Very elite. Keenan and Cal guy over there, I guess? Uh, never heard of that. What? <laughs> never heard of that. Don't know what that is. The show Keenan and Kel? Never heard of it. Kel? <laughs> who loves orange soda? Kel loves orange soda? You're leaving yeah. me out on that? Wow. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Get out of this. Get out of this topic. <laughs> wow. Just leaving a Keenan and Kel reference out there. I am so mad right now. Never heard um, of that show. I, I, should we just end the show right now? I'm tempted to with that. Wow. Fat <laughs> uh, says, how did Felix uh, as a Habs fan join a Ducks podcast? Sorry if, uh, you, if this has already been asked, but you know. Sometimes we get asked uh, things that they have been asked before in the in the off season. Yeah, so basically I used to write about the Habs for different websites and then at one point there was a opening for a a blogger position at the hockey writers for the Ducks. I jumped on it cuz I was I went to school down here so I was like, well, I live around here anyway. It would be kind of fun to track the local team and this was like 20 2014. And uh, just went from there. Just stuck with it. Here I am talking to Jake. So yeah, and and it might be time that I kick you to the curb after that. That's after, so dumb. After after the no, no one knows what that is. Everyone no in our Twitch chat no is one, saying, "What are no you one, talking about?" No one's ever heard of that. Everyone in our That's Twitch fake. chat is saying, "What? What? Like, legitimately, Honey Badger said maybe new host time." <laughs> I don't the, know. This, what, I don't the, know what this hype the, is about. The cinnamon toast crunch slander. Not liking or not seeing Keenan and Kel. Did you not cornbread? watch all that? I think cornbread is is the one that I've gotten the worst reaction from you on. Yeah, cornbread. 
Cornbread this might be worse. Who knows? No, this is this is way worse. Keenan and Kel was a fantastic show. Now people are surprised that I'm a Habs fan. I feel like there's a, a good portion of people that think I'm a Ducks fan. Yeah. Which you yeah. wouldn't be crazy to think because I follow them. At, there are periods where I follow the Ducks a lot more than the Habs just because I kind of have to. But uh, no. Yeah. I mean, it, there's only one team. Yeah. It's, it's it's home team or no team. The best is when people get into your mentions and say you're just a fanboy or something like that. Yeah, I know. I love that. Uh, I love that. It's easier to ignore when it's just like blatantly untrue. Yeah. So, yeah, Keenan and Kel was Keenan Thompson. Have I what seen was... Good Burger? Fat Gerald asking that. No, never heard of that. Did you not, like, did you not watch did I not uh, have a all that? Did you not watch all that? Did you never watch Nickelodeon in the 90s? You're just throwing out words right now. These you didn't watch all that? Don't know what that is. I haven't seen all of you that. You don't know what all no, that. None of that. None of that. I've seen none of that. Do I even continue talking to you? <laughs> Lewis is asking. You weren't even. You didn't. Weren't even raised in Canada because he's asking. Do they not have Nickelodeon Canada? You were well, raised in, 90s, in NorCal. In nineties, I lived in Canada. So when in the nineties? Through the. I mean, basically through almost the end of the nineties. Well, so. then crap. That that probably actually explains it because that was <laughs> that was this was all on Nickelodeon. There was Clarissa explains it all. All that. Uh, Keenan and Kel, Rugrats. I, mean, I, I, I watched some Nickelodeon like when I was a kid. I'm not crazy, crazy, but haven't seen these random shows that people are throwing at me. I, I am. I can't believe it. I can't oh, believe it. I do want to say because shoutouts, uh, shoutouts, gaming thirteen saying that the hit on Evans must make the Habs want to sweep the, sweep the Jets. Uh, yeah, that was a bad hit, dirty hit. People are saying it was clean or are just totally wrong. So here's the, here's the issue with that hit. Let me just say this. I actually buy the argument of it not being charging. because no, it's of it charging. Be- but hear me out here. Because of it being a back check, he does glide into it. You can maybe try to push the... But the, the glide the- thing is not part of the rule. It, it's like- the distance traveled, but he doesn't... He's not... The, it's distance traveled to make a hit. Yeah. And so the distance traveled there is to be in on the back check, not with the sole purpose of making the hit. The issue with this hit, for me, is the head contact. That the primary the the main point of contact is the head, and that's what makes it a suspendable hit to me. Well, and it I doesn't think- it doesn't matter that Evans' head is down at any of that argument because the rule book doesn't actually say anything about that. The only thing the rule book says is if a guy changes his position prior to being hit that uh, makes it so his head gets hit, then sure the hitter the person being hit does uh, have some of the responsibility. But if you watch Evans, Evans' head is in the same position the entire time. And Shifley goes high, catches a lot of head. It's not through the chest. It's not primarily through the chest. That is what, to me, makes it a dirty hit. It's not well, necessarily well also, the, the the distance. Didn't play the puck. Like the, well, the, true the, that that too. The, the Department of Public Safety or Public Player Safety, <laughs> Public Safety, uh, Player Safety video. They correctly pointed out he had yeah, an, that's like, fair. Part of, true. part of his argument was he was trying to protect a goal or pre- prevent a goal, and he never actually once he he could have stopped the goal. The Exactly. So yeah, so, you're right. So I think that that actually defeats what you were saying can, earlier. Can I? Can I also brief? Well, that doesn't defeat what I'm because I was well, just saying no, it's okay. not a charge. But I want to just briefly say this on, on Department of Player Safety while we're on the topic. Might as well. We're we're in the last. We probably should wrap this up somewhat soon. <laughs> but um, the I think that they should be commended for how they've been handling the Playoffs. actual hockey plays. I think there is still the criticism and it's a valid criticism of any of their suspensions or non-suspensions of scrum type plays, whether it's Ryan Reeves, whether it's Tom Wilson, whether it's any of that, but the actual hockey plays 
throughout this entire year, they've basically gotten spot on. And that, I think, goes to the fact of they've been instructed on what is a clean and what is not a clean play with between the whistles, whereas a lot of the things after the whistles, it's kind of more so a gray area where it's the NHL hasn't really made that something that they want punished. And so I think that if we're going to be hard on George Peros and the department for all the off or for all the after whistle stuff, we should also commend them for getting things right uh, between the whistles. Yeah, no, and I think that, yes, the, the four games was fair enough. You know, I think he should have just been done for the series, but I am a little biased there. I think four games... Uh, four games was, is a lot in the playoffs. Well, especially considering that he has no previous history. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I wasn't expecting him to get that high, to be honest with you. I thought it was going to be two or three, just because of the no previous record. But four games is good, and... My big takeaway, my big joy is that I don't think he'll get to play again this season. I, I think, do not either. I think like, that is the best revenge the the the, the Habs can have is just that he doesn't get to to get back in and try to make a difference. Um, Emil has an interesting question. If the Habs win tomorrow, does the suspension really uh, uh, does it carry over? Uh, if the Habs I don't know. win, I think it does. I think if you're suspending the playoffs, it does carry over. <laughs> so I think you would have a one game uh, suspension. That's even that's even funnier then. That's even better. He has yeah. to deal with this next season. Yeah, but it, it doesn't go in like if you go with the math of a one playoff game is equal to two regular no, season games. No, no, they're games, not going to change the math. It, no. It's not going to be two regular season games. It's just going to be oh, one additional Oh, that's so game. funny. That's even better then. Yeah. That he's going to have to pay for this until next year. Yeah. Assuming so, that, and also, why are the Canadians playing back-to-back? Why are they playing on Monday night? Don't understand that. Oh, it, it makes total sense. It's because every other series started a week, like three or four days earlier. Well, so sure, from that up. perspective, but just from the perspective of having the best product out there of like player, well, you know, safety. Do you know why? The why is that they are trying to get done before the Olympics starts. I get it. So yeah, here's a no, here's a fun, that guy Bobski. No preseason does not count for this suspension. It would be a regular season game. Here's a, here's a fun hypothetical for you. Which now we're completely off the rails slash potentially turning into a Habspod. If you were the Canadians, would you start Jake Allen in net tomorrow? I have no idea. You're asking me the, the complete wrong questions here. No, I would not, though. Really? Well, what do you mean you have no idea? I'm sure you have an opinion on this. I have. Well, my opinion is. My opinion typically is play the backup, but I think when you're in a playoff series, you have a hot but goal, here, you have a guy he, playing well, and it's a, clo- it's a closeout game, play Carey Price. You know how bad the Jets are. You know how much you could benefit. So, are you looking from out. a rat? You're looking at it from a rest perspective. Yes, I'm looking at it from. So, if you can scratch out that win with Allen, then, and because Allen's been good this year, maybe then Carey Price gets that additional rest. I think and, you. I think you want to just end it, and then you can get the rest because it's a sweep. Yeah, I mean that's. Yeah, that's because I had the thought of do they play Allen tomorrow and. I came down basically with what you said is just that, no, you just want to end the series. Just mm-hmm. get him out of there and then he'll get the rest. Yep. So exactly. Does Hellebuck play tomorrow? Yes. <laughs> I mean, he has to, what are, the Jets, no way... what are the Jets going to do? Are they just going to fire everybody? No, the Jets think they're fine. The Jets, <laughs> the Jets beat the Oilers. They look so bad because they are, they look so bad because they are bad. Here's the insane thing. Everybody at ESPN picked the Jets to win the series, except yeah, for... Yeah, because people are dumb in mainstream Uchiros. media. But come on. Come on. Pe- people are... Mainstream media is... Ro- like, p- 
people people buy into the narratives. People look at the fact that they swept the Oilers and the Oilers had McDavid. They were the fact that they were able to shut down McDavid and Drysaitel, and the the Habs don't have any shut, one of that caliber. Yeah. yeah, the 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 Habs don't have anyone of that caliber. There's all those narratives that you can look into. When in reality, you look and they won a couple very close games that ended up going to overtime. They weren't that great in those games, but the Oilers aren't that great of a team anyways. They're bet they're fine. They're better than the Jets, but. It's a small sample size. That's the, that's my thing with the playoffs and, and my overall thought process over the last couple of years where I've come to is that the over, the overreaction to the playoffs on either end is just insane to me. But it's fun. There's, it's, there's, no, there, it's, there's it's, fun defi- to it. it's definitely fun, but I think it's it's way too much. It's way too much. Here's a fun, on here's some a fun question for you. Now we're mm-hmm. just totally off the rails. Again, it's fine. Uh what what do you do if you're Colorado and you lose to Vegas? You like, run it back. Say, you run it back with the same team, assuming that you're in a, a softer division next season. Yeah, but let's say you lose. Like they lose, they just lose out this series. They don't win another game because that's that's kind of where this is trending right now. You run it back with the same team. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> you look at like this isn't rocket science. Run it back West, with the same West team. Div- the West Division caveat though is getting Chris, stronger. Chris Kindred with an interesting comment. The Jets have an insane amount of talent. I don't understand how they are this well, they, bad. It's, they have it's, so they have a let, let me jump in here. They have a lot of forward talent, which is why they're good on the power play. The issue is that none of those all those guys are very high scoring talent type of players. They're not necessarily play drivers, and then their defense is just bad well all it, of their, it's very well, bad there it's not that they're bad it's that they're all playing way out of way out of position they're yes. all playing a spot or two too high and so you have like three pairings that are either second or third pairings and it's just it's not good enough in the playoffs and also i i don't think that paul Maurice coaches a good system like yeah. it's pretty clear um it, it can't purely because of the roster talent right? yeah I, I think i think a there. big issue for this roster is that their defense is just poor and I think that they're – and by poor, it's exactly and what also, you said. I don't think that their forward depth is great either. So. I mean, they're, they're, they have the high-end talent. They do. And, and I think yeah. that's kind of more so where Chris Kindred was was going with it, that they have an insane amount of talent. They have Pierre Do, do the Jets circle back to Manson this offseason? Does, does this push them to that? Maybe. Maybe it does. They yeah. need that physical player to, to stop the Habs, to stop Corey Perry. <laughs> they're getting bullied right now by Co- by Corey Perry. They so. are. That first goal was just hilarious. Well, so the thing is, if you're the Ducks uh, with Manson, I mean, what do you even want from the Jets? Do you do you because you're do not you, getting do, you, you, do you you're circle, not any of the good stuff? Do you circle back and try to do Manson and Raquel for Perfetti? I mean, that would be great if they could get Perfetti. I, I think that's too much though for Perfetti. As in. I think what, it's an overpay. Do, yeah, Perfetti and a pick. Yeah, I think I'd rather go Perfetti that route. and the first because I, I think Manson. I don't think you want to deal Raquel and and Manson in the same in the same deal. If it can get you a higher end talent, maybe. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe Perfetti is that. I don't know. Um, it's still a bit of a dice roll though as a prospect. All right, let's end with this question. We'll, we'll close this thing out. Mm-hmm non-biased from you he didn't ask this but i'm adding that to this oh come on who's your pick to win the cup well okay so my bracket says that i picked the avalanche to win the stanley cup and i am sticking to that i will say i mean just like any person who's watched the last couple of games of that series i don't feel as good about it right now i do have the lightning in the final they are currently up three to one steamrolling the carolina hurricanes 
And so my confidence is them to maybe beat the Avalanche is going up. Um, so, yeah, I guess the short answer is Avalanche. But I have the Avalanche still, but I think that the close second for me now is exactly what you said. I think after watching that game, Oh, you've Tampa, converted. After that Tampa-Carolina game, oh, boy, Tampa looks good. They look great. And the thing is, they're beating a good team. Now, well, and, he, and here's the thing, here's the thing mm-hmm. with Tampa that I think is so key. They have stretches where they get outplayed. Yeah. And then they just come back and bully the team and just put in four or five goals. Yeah, and they, they make it look like it's so – it must be so. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, demoralizing. It must, yeah, exactly. Demoralizing. It must be so demoralizing if you're like the Hurricanes, because the Hurricanes were playing very well for stretches, and then Kucherov comes down. Now you maintained that Mrazek led in a couple softies. He did. Um, yeah, which is fair enough. But yeah, so I, I think the Lightning could could be that team if it's not the Avs. I mean, maybe it'll be Vegas if Vegas gets through. If Vegas Colorado. does make it through and it's Vegas, uh, Montreal, I might just buy a Corey Perry Montreal jersey right then and there and just I be will, a fanboy. I will say this, and this might sound like an insane take, but I don't like I think the Habs have a much better chance against Vegas than uh than Colorado. I think yes. Colorado's style would really give them fits because they're just like a on steroids version of of Toronto. Uh but Vegas is much more of a kind of grinded out team which is sort of how the Canadians want to play. And so I would be, I'm not saying I would pick the Habs to beat Vegas, but I just might, who knows? So my bias pick, by the way, is, is Canadians to win the cup. Of course. Also Salem, the black cat is making an appearance on the pod yes, here. Yes. As we're about to close that. So uh, with that being said, let's wrap this thing up. Yeah. Well, Hey th- everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for bearing with this here. The last couple of weeks as we took a little bit of a break as you know, Jake imposed a break upon us. It's okay. We, we got to let him get his rest. Just blaming me. <laughs> Just blaming me. <laughs> well, you were the one who went off to Vegas. So yeah, we still did a podcast that weekend. Did we? Yeah. Huh? We did it on Monday. No, no, we didn't. Um, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> If you've been enjoying our podcast, there are a few different ways to support us. The number one way is our Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. There are three tiers of support and all of them have their benefits. So for a dollar a month, $1 a month, that's a, to me, a small pledge, but it does still go a long way. You get a lot of benefit from it. You get to join our patrons only discord chat, which is a lot of fun. You get to connect with other ducks fans, other diehard fans, there's a general chat where we'll just talk about anything, shoot the breeze. There's a hockey channel there. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go in there during Ducks games during the season. And during the offseason, we'll also talk playoffs, talk latest signings, draft, or things like that. So it's a lot of fun. Honestly, for a dollar a month, it actually goes a long way. Now, for $5 a month, you get access to two bonus episodes. And that is where... We will talk about maybe more league-wide topics. We'll also go more in-depth if there's a specific Ducks topic that's really kind of gnawing at us. And at $5, you also get get access to the Discord where there is a channel where you can uh, make patron suggestions for topics, which we will discuss on the show. So, for example, tomorrow night, uh, Jake and I are going to be doing a podcast. Is it tomorrow, Monday night, or Tuesday night? Uh, we're planning for Monday night. Monday night could could turn into Tuesday. We'll see, uh, depending on the Habs. But... Uh, our next show, we're going to be ranking the best players in the NHL. And so this is going to be a fun one because I feel like we might have diverging opinions. Who knows? So we do rankings, that, that those types of episodes. That's for $5 a month. Now, for $15 a month, 
You get access to everything I just talked about. You also get access to two watch-alongs a month, which during the Ducks season is where we do a basically a broadcast of the Ducks games. We give you live commentary during the game, give you an alternative to what you've become accustomed to with the Ducks, and maybe a little, some more stats, some more tactics, just some more nitty-gritty stuff, and also some good banter as well. During the offseason, for right now, we're doing playoff games. So this weekend, we did Lightning Hurricanes. That was a lot of fun. That one was a lot more laid back. A lot more, uh, a lot more chirping. It was I would a watch say. party. Watch party is the better way to do it than watch along for that one because we're just kind of shooting the breeze. Yes, and uh, and as the off season wears along, we'll probably do some uh, some old ducks games on there. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll revisit some games from the past. So that's for fifteen dollars a month. You can get access to all of that at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now there's still a couple of other ways to support us. Um, you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And I want to briefly mention before you read our new review, we are currently at 198 ratings. So we're two yeah. away from, from breaking 200. So for anyone out there that's enjoying the so- show, has been wanting to, to support us, help us break that 200 mark. Yes. So we did get a new review. And is it the one from May 26 you're talking about? Referring to? Yes. Okay. So this is a five-star review from i'm not sure how to pronounce this I, so i think from Deshusen. having read it and the fact that he gave us a hint i think and my hunch is this is christian charbonneau from our, our discord chat okay well so this is a really fun one i'll try to read as best i can title is big boom and podcast which is a nice ode to the one and only cody curran who we still haven't seen in a duck sweater uh this podcast is great jake and felix have big boom and hot takes that hit as hard as Andy Walensky's one-timer. Yes. So many references just layered into that. There, there's, a, there's a lot as we I keep going. I love that. The sound quality is as smooth as the 25th anniversary jersey, which is a great jab at Jake, who hates uh... that jersey, who absolutely detests it. If you're into face-offs and some Bob Murray love, this is the podcast for you, which, of course, is totally true. Jake is the Derek Grant. Felix is Sam Steele. <laughs> Over here at CTP, we don't encourage small-skilled players. We like to win face-offs and grind teams out with big kids. All jokes aside, oh, those were jokes? Come on. Uh, all jokes aside, great podcast for all things Ducks-related. Keep up the good work, guys. Also, if you don't know who I am just yet, I'll give you a hit. And this is where, like you said, hashtag Fabian LaSalle to Anaheim. So there you go. We didn't, even mention, we didn't even mention LaSalle in the third. Well, that's the problem with, with this draft is there are so many names that you can yeah. bring up. Maybe yeah, we'll yeah, do yeah. a big draft show. But anyway, thank you so much, Christian, for that review. That was awesome. If it was uh, you, I hope it is. If it was you, let's just say it was you. And if it wasn't, well, well, I'll, I'll hold the L. Let us know. Well, thank you so much for that. That honestly, it's just a lot of fun. And so, if you want to leave us a review, like like you can see here, we appreciate it. The more jokes you can layer in, the more references, uh, it, we'll get a good kick out of it here on yep. the show. Yep. Now, if you don't have Apple Podcasts, that's totally fine. Uh, you can follow us. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, and you can also subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Um, you can leave some comments there. Jake is active in the comments, and there's a there's a nice little community there. Um, what else is there, Jake, that how people can support us? They can find the uh, kind of outside of that, just interact with us on Twitter. Go to find you can find me on Twitter at Reindeer Games 91. You can find Felix at Felix underscore card. You can find the website at Crash Pond. You can also support us by going and reading us at Crash Pond when the articles go up. CrashPond.com. You can also find our we have shirts, we have sweatshirts. Yeah, uh, CrashPond.com slash shop. That is yes. it. Go check that out. I'm wearing the t shirt right now. 
if you're on the stream here. Yeah, your your microphone's you Sorry, blocking that, it. Yeah, that was that was pretty bad. I need to fit, find a way. But yeah, hoodies. You know, there's a little June gloom going on. You know, it's here over here in SoCal right now, a little June gloom. It's chilly in the morning, so if you're going to walk the dog, rock a little, rock a nice uh, Crash the Pond hoodie. So mm-hmm. that is that is going to do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for following along as we approach the draft. It's going to be a lot of fun. Have a great week. Have a great Monday if you're listening on Monday, and we will talk to you at the next show. Have a good one. Bye.